You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your only daily podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, and today is Wednesday, May 12th, which means we are one day away from the much-anticipated Jared Kelenic debut for the Seattle Mariners. Really excited about that. I want to discuss, of course, a little bit about Kelenic and why baseball fans should brace for something special in Seattle. And Seattle's starting to put together a really exciting ball club as a lot of the players through that system are starting to make their way up to the big league team, Logan Gilbert should be next, and I'm sure George Kirby will not be far behind among some other options to start breaking in to the big league level. I also really want to talk about Corbin Carroll and why I am just getting more excited about Corbin Carroll by the day. I watch pretty much now any game I can of his because with Corbin Carroll, there is so much more that makes him valuable and makes me optimistic on him than what meets the eye, and I'll explain that in a moment as well. Also, Luis Patino and the adjustments that he has made on the mound, I'm assuming inspired by the Rays analytics and the Rays just development team because he has made some tweaks as the Rays always do make some tweaks to the stuff of certain pitchers. And most of the time, it's for the better. We see it big time with relievers. We've seen it with starters as well as they're able to just get the most out of their stuff and get it to work the most effectively as to kind of cater it towards each player's arsenal and maximize that arsenal as the pitches start to work off each other. So I'm going to talk about Luis Patino's adjustments and why I am even more excited to see what he is going to do now as we get going in this season. He has been great so far. The Rays have had him on a bit of a short leash. They let him go 65 pitches against the Yankees yesterday, which was the most pitches he's thrown so far this year. He was really solid again in that outing against the Yanks. So I'm going to talk about the adjustments that Patino has made and why they leave me more on optimistic for the long-term outlook of the right-hander, the young right-hander over in Tampa Bay. So let's start with Jared Kelnick because this is the big story across the whole baseball world, across the minor league world, and everywhere in between, and for good reason. I mean, Jared Kelnick has raked at every single level the second he left high school and started playing in professional baseball, and he has impressed in any single opportunity he has had to impress. He's handled a lot of the uh, weird stuff with the Mariners quite well after, you know, a lot of the service time manipulation and those kinds of discussions that were sparked, especially after the comments of the former president of the Seattle Mariners. I think Kalanick handled it like a pro. He let his thoughts be uh, heard a little bit through very simple messages of just saying, I'm ready, and just did not really make anything else of it and just put his head down and kept working. He's known for his work ethic. I think that's pretty clear with how much he's been able to improve in a short time. He was incredibly polished as a high schooler, the most polished high school bat in that draft class, but he's only gotten better and better every time we've seen him, and I'm still optimistic that he can play center field for the long haul. I don't know if they are planning on having him in center field anytime soon with Kyle Lewis out there, and Lewis has a little bit more experience playing center field at the big league level, but Kalanick moves a bit better than Lewis 
from at least what I believe and from what I've seen. And I'd assume that if he continues to get reps out there, he could end up being a better defender than Kyle Lewis, who's relatively average to slightly above average in center field. But the other concern I have with Lewis long term is that he already had a catastrophic knee injury. His legs have already taken quite a bit of a beating and he's 25 years old. Eventually, I would think that the Mariners may want to move him to a corner just to protect him a little bit. It's not as much running. It's not as much throwing your body on the line like you see so many center fielders do. Of course, there's going to be moments like that in the corners, but Kelnick will probably move better out there in the next couple years as well. And moving forward, it seems like he could be the long-term center fielder for the Mariners, and I would expect him to kind of take over those duties with Kyle Lewis presumably moving to a corner. That is what I could see happening as we move forward here because Kelnick is quick. He has a good arm, and I think he has all the makings to be a good center fielder. Like I said, he works really hard, and I think if he gets the reps out there, he'll be solid. For now, I'm going to assume that it's Kyle Lewis's gig out there in center, and we'll see Kelnick in left field, which will be just fine for him, and he's got more than enough production and more than an arm to be able to anchor either corner. And what we can expect from him, I think he's going to roll out of bed and hit even at the major league level. I'm sure he's going to go through it from time to time. I'm interested to see how he does against lefties. His splits have been pretty consistent through the minor leagues, but it's a different animal once you get to the majors, and especially as they start to learn how to pitch to you a little bit. And he does have one little tendency is at times, Kelnick will get a bit pull happy. And if he's getting pull happy on the lefties, if that front side's coming off, that could be one thing to watch. But he is as complete of a prospect as you're going to see. And you may think I'm a little bit crazy for this, but I really do believe that it's closer between Kelnick and Wander Franco than a lot of people make it out to be. Uh, I know Wander Franco is kind of that unanimous number one prospect for the last two years, and for good reason, given his production and the fact that he's a year and a half younger than Kelnick. But I really think there is a case to be made that Jared Kelnick is the number one prospect in baseball. I don't think it's that crazy, and I think he's going to show that at the major league level. And it should be pretty fun to watch. I will, of course, recap his debut on Friday morning. And this is a Mariners lineup that can really use a jolt right now. They're averaging four runs per game this season. That's eighth fewest in baseball. But now they have a really exciting outfield between Kyle Lewis, Mitch Haniger, who is one of the most underrated players in baseball, in my opinion, and then Jared Kelnick alongside those guys. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch in Seattle. And once Julio Rodriguez gets up there, that could be the most exciting outfield in baseball. I really am hoping Julio can climb his way up pretty quickly, but we'll have to see how aggressive the Mariners decide to be with him. He's in high A currently, has a little bit of swing and miss concern right now, but has looked very solid so far this season. So I'm going to talk about Luis Patino in just a moment, as well as Corbin Carroll, two prospects that have a lot of helium right now, and for good reason. I'll get to that in just a second. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Sports Trade. Sports Trade is where fantasy sports meet the stock market. It takes fantasy to the next level. It's like Robin Hood for fantasy sports. Their platform allows you to buy and sell shares in your favorite players, just like real stocks, a fair and exciting way to cash in on your knowledge of sports. And they just added baseball to the platform. So go check it out today. Making money with sports trade is as simple as players values rise and fall based on two factors. One, their statistical performance in each game as compared to their projected fantasy points in that game. The more points scored, the higher their value goes. Two, 
good old supply and demand. The more demand a player has, the higher their value goes. When you're ready to buy shares, pick that penny stock in a rookie with huge upside or grab the blue chip bet who's always a solid performer. You can instantly buy or sell as many shares as you'd like and then watch your players battle it out and see your portfolio rise. Simply go to sportstrade.com and watch the How It Works video, then sign up to get started. Sign up today at sportstrade.com and discover the fun and exciting and profitable new world of sports trading. Also brought to you by Credit Karma. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With Credit Karma Money Spend Account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Who doesn't love instant gratification? If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. With Credit Karma Money, you can win cash reimbursements for debit purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot with your instant karma cash and it will be added back into your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Wow, I've always wanted to do that speedy reading fine print at the end of a commercial. And uh, there you go. Dreams do come true. But let's talk about now Luis Patino who is making his dream come true by becoming a stud for the Tampa Bay Rays. And he always was a stud. Let's be clear about that. And I had always said and maintained that even though he struggled out of the bullpen for the Padres last year, it was not a big deal. He was making the jump from high A. He was having some issues with command and just trusting his stuff. And now he had some opportunity to get things going with Tampa. He worked at the alternate training site, spring training, all that good stuff. And he has really started to refine his stuff and has made some adjustments that allow him to one, command his pitches better, excuse me, and two, use them off of each other more effectively. So one of the big changes I've seen with Luis Patino is his slider. You can see it visibly, but also when you dive into the pitch data, it's much different as well. It's more of a traditional slider. Before it was a bit more slurvy, it's a tighter pitch now, and it's harder by about two miles per hour. And while it's not having as much of the vertical break, you're seeing sharp and late horizontal break, which has made the pitch really effective. And since it's a tighter slider now and he's able to throw it harder, it really works for him because he's locating it better. It's not as sweeping and as much of that slurve where he was just struggling to keep it in the strike zone. It was a great pitch, but it was almost breaking too much for him. Now he's able to locate it in a lot of different places in the zone that he wants to put it in. And he's also instituted a sinker or two-seamer that really works well off of that pitch. I like to call it overlaying, where basically, you know, you see the videos of the two different pitches at the same time, and they show one ball going to the left and one ball breaking to the right, and just how difficult that would be, presumably, for a hitter. And that's exactly what Patino's been able to do. So now if you're a right-handed hitter and you're looking for that sharp slider uh, breaking away from you, and he gives you that two-seamer, 
seamer breaking in on your hands, you're going to have some new firewood courtesy of Luis Patino, and I really think it makes him a more dynamic pitcher. When we look at what he's been able to do with that slider so far as he's made the pitch more effective for him and made some other pitches in his arsenal work off of it well, he's racking up a 50% whiff rate on the slider. The other thing too is that he's throwing it twice as much. He only threw the slider 17% of the time last year. He's throwing it 34% of the time this season. Opponents hitting just 100 with that 50% whiff rate. The sinker has been really good for him as well, has not surrendered a hit on that pitch so far this season, and he actually is using it more against right-handed hitters, which kind of alludes to the hypothetical that I provided, which I think is going to be very commonplace for him with a lot of Hitters looking for that slider as it's become such a good pitch for him, breaking out over the plate as a righty or breaking off of the plate, and he's been really comfortable running in that two-seamer on the hands of right-handed hitters. He still has the change-up, and while he isn't throwing it quite as much, it's just because of the fact that he has more viable pitches against righties. He was going right-on-right change-up a lot more last year, and it just wasn't as effective for him, which he shouldn't have to try to lean right-on-right change-up when you have the capacity to throw a slider the way that we're seeing him throw it now. So instead of going right-on-right change, he's essentially eliminated that. He still uses it quite frequently against lefties, which is great, and just goes way more slider, fastball sinker heavy against the right-handed hitters. Lefties, you're going to get more just fastball changeup and the occasional sinker as well. The other impressive thing with Patino, and I think it's a combination of things, is that his command has gotten a lot stronger, and he never had command issues in the minor leagues. He had some issues last year, and I thought it was just an example of him being a bit too careful, to be honest, especially since he didn't have as much confidence in the slider, and when he was facing right-handed hitters and didn't have the slider working the way he wanted it to, he would often have to go right on right change or just groove the fastball, and that's kind of where he got into trouble last year. Now, we're seeing a much different type of situation. He doesn't have to try to be as careful with the fastball. He can rely on that slider a lot more. And he can just avoid the changeup against righties altogether instead of trying to pick at the bottom of the zone and hope that somebody chases it. Most of the time, they were just letting it go and leaving that down and waiting to see a fastball up. And that was where he was just struggling quite a bit out of the bullpen. His arsenal now really is that of a starter. It's much more complete of an arsenal. And I think that the Rays are going to have a really good piece here in Luis Patino. And I know myself included, a lot of people were shaming the Rays for trading Blake Snell. And it still seems a bit peculiar to have traded him. But you can kind of see what the Rays were thinking here. Snell's been a bit inconsistent over in San Diego. Patino is younger, obviously cheaper, and has more control. He's 21 years old. And looks like he might be putting something together quite special over here. And the Rays were probably looking at one of the most talented arms in the minor leagues and figured we can unlock the rest out of this guy and build him into a stud. And then not to mention the other prospects that the Rays were able to get in that deal, bringing in stud prospect Cole Wilcox, also bringing in Blake Hunt, who I really like as a catching prospect. Mejia has been helping out a little bit at the major league level. And like I always say, never doubt the Rays. They have something up their sleeve here. And I think that we're going to see Patino blossom into a big part of this team's playoff run. And that would be huge for them. And I think that's exactly why they called him up on this timeline. They want to ease him into it. 65 pitches was the new uh, high for him so far this season. I'm assuming they'll get him up to 75 next start and eventually ease him into a complete workload start to start. But they're definitely starting to stretch him out a bit now. 
As for his numbers, before I wrap up on Patino for this season, so far he is pitching to a 1.54 ERA, 11 and two-thirds innings, 13 Ks, and just those two earned runs. He has been really good. Again, no walks, really. The whip at .69. It's been really exciting to watch him, and I think that he is really going to build off of this stuff, and the Rays have helped him unlock a lot of what he has in there, but he also has always been a very special pitching prospect. Look at his numbers through the minor leagues. He is very, very good, and he's just cleaned up the mechanics a little bit, optimized the arsenal, and all of a sudden, you have a budding stud over here with the Rays, and there is a lot to be excited about over there in Tampa Bay. I'm going to talk about Corbin Carroll and the red-hot Jesus Sanchez in just a second here. First, a reminder that this episode is also brought to you by betonline.ag. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device to check out all the great sporting news. Sign up for bonuses and contest information. Head over to the website and use the promo code LOCKEDON, that's one word locked on, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's talk about Corbin Carroll and why I think this guy has a legitimate chance to be a top five prospect or better by the end of this year, assuming that Jared Kelnick and Wander Franco graduate because, in my opinion, that's really one of the only things that's stopping him from being one of the most elite prospects in baseball. And this is not just because he's hitting 435 through the first seven games and that he's showing this added power. Of course, that helps quite a bit. And maybe I wouldn't be talking about him this much if he wasn't hitting 435. However, before this season, I was talking about Corbin Carroll a lot as somebody that I wanted to have on everybody's radar. I really wanted to kind of put him on, if he wasn't already, on your radar because he is really intriguing for a lot of different reasons. The obvious being that he is fast as hell, a 70-grade runner with a good feel to hit and plays good defense, and also because he was really good in 2019 right out of high school, hitting 299 between rookie ball and low A in 42 games. He was getting on base at a 409 clip, didn't strike out much at all, and stole 18 backs, only was thrown out once. But that was in rookie ball and low A, and oftentimes speedy guys just, they have good numbers. Speedy guys with good approaches will have good numbers through rookie ball in low A because they hit it on the ground, they beat it out, the defense isn't great, the pitching is inconsistent, and they're able to just kind of make some things happen by creating havoc and being fast and putting pressure on an inexperienced defense. But now he's in high A, and that's not really the case as much anymore. Also, the quality of pitching is way better, and it's a lot of older competition, almost three years on average older than the 20-year-old Corbin Carroll. And remember, he has not played above 11 games in low A. He spent a lot of time at the alternate training site, and all of the video that I saw, everything that I was hearing about him kind of just solidifies what we're seeing now too, which was a really mature player, especially for his age, that is able to hold his own against basically any competition, whether it's a big league arm or 
a 20-year-old. He's able to make these in-at-bat adjustments. He spoils tough pitches. He drives the ball where it's pitched. He doesn't expand the zone. You're looking at him hit, and I'm like, this is not a 20-year-old. It blows my mind. And as I've been watching him through these first seven games, it's been just that. And if he did it against big leaguers at the alternate training set, of course, he's going to do it in high A. But just to see the consistency and seeing what he does at the plate, I am so sold on this guy. And for some of the similar reasons that I like Nick Gonzalez, and imagine now Nick Gonzalez with the special tools that Corbin Carroll has. And and I'm comparing apples to oranges here in terms of what kind of players they are and all the things they have to offer. But what I like about Carroll is the same things that I like about some of these other polished hitting prospects is that they get the most out of what they have physically because they attack the right pitches, they take the right swings and the right counts, and they also don't expand the zone and they make in at bad adjustments. Corbin Carroll does just that. While the speed and the solid hit tool are the calling cards, he's able to get more out of his above average raw power and probably average game power at this point because of the fact that he takes those aggressive swings in the right counts. When he's ahead in the count, he's hunting the right pitches and looking to do damage. If he's behind in the count, he's making those adjustments and just trying to put the ball in play because he is a burner. And that's what I really like about him. And something that's missing in the landscape of the game big time is that he takes the right swings and the right counts. Kind of like Yerman Mercedes on an extreme example. But when you have somebody like Corbin Carroll that's so dynamic, he's like, okay, I'm a big time hitter. I can be a big time hitter. And early in the count, he's looking to be that guy. But given the circumstances, if he makes a bad swing on a good breaking ball, he adjusts so well. I saw him also. He got beat on a high fastball. The pitcher tries to go up there again, and he just turns on it. And you're just like, wow, he totally just made that adjustment pitch to pitch. And I've seen that now time and time again with him. And you're seeing it now make its way into the numbers, where in seven games in high A, he's already hit a pair of home runs, a pair of triples, a double. He swept three bags, and he has six walks against seven strikeouts. Carroll at 5'10", 165 pounds, offers way more power, I think, than many would expect. And also, myself included, I I saw 10 to 15 home run power in there, but because of the way he's able to take the right swings in the right counts and attack the right pitches, he gets way more out of his ability and way more out of his power than the average hitter would. And that's what I really like about Carroll. And he's not going to sell out, though, to try to hit for power. It doesn't have to be this mutually exclusive thing where it's like this end-all, be-all approach. One of the most tired topics ever, right, was like Ichiro could hit more home runs if he wanted to. Sure, maybe, whatever. That could be true. That almost became a meme by the time uh, he was done playing. But the whole thing about that is like, you don't need to go one way or the other. You can look to do damage in certain counts, certain situations, as the situation kind of calls for it, and then adjust accordingly deeper in counts. Not everybody can do that. You have to be really special to do that, but Corbin Carroll is that special. Keep an eye out on him. He will be in double A very, very soon. I thought there was a legitimate reason for him to start the season in double A. I had said that when we went over the, the assignments in the pre-minor league season episode, and I think it's starting to ring very true so far this season and we're going to see him moved up quite soon. I also wanted to discuss Jesus Sanchez because Jesus Sanchez has really started to put it together over there in AAA for the Miami Marlins. He's probably been the best hitter in all of the minor leagues so far this season, and it's not really an exaggeration to say that. So far this season for AAA Jacksonville, he is hitting 571 with a 600 on base and a 1,179 slugging. That's four home runs in seven games 
14 driven in, a pair of triples, and a double. And for Jesus Sanchez, he was not great last year for Miami at the Major League level. He wasn't ready. He had to be forced up because the Marlins had their entire roster decimated, and he went 1 for 25 in his big league debut. Not exactly how you would want it to go. But at the same time, Jesus Sanchez has some of the most elite bat speed in all of the minor leagues. He always has, and that was a big selling point when he was with the Rays. He came over from the Rays in that trade for Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards from the Marlins. So the Rays got their guy a big-time closer. They gave up a pretty exciting outfield prospect, but he had not really totally put it together yet in the minor leagues and was struggling a bit in AAA after he got promoted in 2019 up to Durham, just wasn't putting it together quite up there. Had some good numbers in AA, but still was not kind of putting up these power numbers you would expect from a guy that had some of the best exit velos in all of the minor leagues. When I watched Jesus Sanchez over the last couple years, it seemed like a guy that had all of this ability and just wasn't really allowing his hands to work, meaning that there was a lot of movement to his swing. You could tell he just was struggling to time things up consistently, struggling to repeat his swing as explosive as it was. He was struggling to just maintain those body movements and find the right kind of timing mechanism for himself. So I'm experimenting with a lot of different things. He seemed to get caught in between quite frequently. And it was like this guy that has all of this ability, just not finding the way to allow it to translate into the game. His batting practice was a show when he would just you know, simply take his swings and unload on baseballs because of the ridiculous bat speed he has. And it's similar to a degree. He's not as physically gifted as Joe Adele. But when I was talking about Joe Adele in the podcast the other day and the improvements that he has made to his swing, instead of being a big leg hang up in the air guy that struggles to time everything up with all the moving parts and not really getting his hands slotted and timed up with his lower half. And all of a sudden now we see him really simplify it instead of being a hang me leg in the air guy. He opened up the stance a little bit and just focuses on bringing the leg back over and closing himself off just to give himself a thought to give himself some sort of negative move, but without having this thing that's going to disrupt him a lot. And what did he do the next day, which is crazy, is he hits two home runs the next ball game right after that episode was recorded, kind of answering some of the questions for me, which I was like, okay, I could see how these adjustments will work for him. Let's see if they work. I think this could be the beginning. And he's starting to show that it's working for him, not only because of the fact that he's able to time things up better. We're seeing those hands finally really work. If you go and watch those two home runs that he hit, I mean, explosive hands driving the ball the other way. Easy, easy power. And you're seeing this new confidence of him that he's like, wow, I have so much time to hit the ball now. It's so much easier to time things up. And I think it's the same thing with Jesus Sanchez now. Sanchez has that Joe Adele caliber bat speed, just was struggling to time everything else up. And you got to time everything else up before you can even unleash those hands. So why not simplify everything else? If you have these God-given hands, this God-given bat speed, yet everything leading up to the point where you pull the trigger on your swing is throwing you off then you're not really allowing those hands and that bat speed to work. Jesus Sanchez is now allowing it to work too. He barely picks his foot up off the ground now. Like literally is just like tap the foot and go. 
and he still has this elite bat speed. And not everybody can do that, but if you can, then it just makes so much more sense. It's so much easier. Watch the video of Jesus Sanchez from last year to this year. And there, I'll probably put it up on my personal Twitter, both Adele and Jesus Sanchez's adjustments in the box. And you can really see how their bat speed is just different from most other players and how they are letting it work now and the differences in the timing and how when you take a lot of the extraneous body movements out of the equation and take a lot of the timing hindrances out of the equation, how special, special players don't need much to still tap into their ridiculous power. I will have those videos up at RMLayton8 on Twitter very soon so that you can kind of see some of the changes that I was talking about because I love to see physically gifted players just simplify things and let those tools work. By the way, for my card collectors out there, I am going heavy on Corbin Carroll, just so you know. That is the next investment for me. I'm going to be buying up Corbin Carroll. So if you're bidding on an eBay card and you're like, why does this guy just keep outbidding me? It might be me. I'm just I'm just giving you that little uh, disclosure now. I'm going big on Corbin Carroll, so look out uh, on eBay. If you are looking to sell any Corbin Carroll cards, you know where to find me. But uh, that's always been fun, too, now being able to buy up some of these minor league prospect cards now that we have the season going and plenty of fun to be had now in the collecting world as well. As always, you can reach out to me at rmlayton8 on Twitter or at LO underscore MLB prospects and ask me questions. I always appreciate all the questions I get from you. Um, They're a lot of fun to answer and help inspire me for some topics on the next few episodes and always just help me with content creation. And knowing what you want to hear me talk about, I'm always all ears because this is your show, not just mine. And this is all about the listener. So if there's ever any topics as well that you want me to cover, feel free to tweet at me and let me know. I appreciated those who tweeted at me and let me know that you enjoyed that redraft show of the 2018 class. I'll do something similar to that sometime soon with maybe the 17 class or the 19 class and we'll start going and having some fun with that as well. I want to try and keep it where there's still prospects from the draft class. Otherwise, it's just hindsight and it's just like, okay, I'm picking the best player procedurally here and it's kind of easy. You just chronologically go by the best player um, and maybe there's a little bit of debate there, but I like where there's still some predictiveness to it with the prospects combined with the higher floor guys already in the major leagues, which I think the 17 draft can do that, the 19 draft can do that, and then we'll go from there. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to those who take the time to leave ratings as they help me immensely, and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.